a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. I'm honored to be joined this segment by Paul Cassell, who you hear uh, very often on these airwaves as he lends his expertise to helping you and I understand uh, some of the complicated workings in the legal world. Uh, Stanford educated, former U.S. District Judge, current law professor at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. Mr. Cassell, thank you so much for joining me. Glad to be here. I'm not sure if you heard me in the last segment, but I pointed something out, something I had observed in the fallout or in the wake of the announcement from the Supreme Court after you know, these two cases. And it is that there are individuals on both sides today celebrating the decisions or the rulings by the Supreme Court as victories. We've seen people like Nancy Pelosi claim it's a victory, as well as uh, personal attorneys for the president claiming that it's a victory. How can it be both ways? <laughs> Well, it's, you, do you look at uh, whether the glass is half empty or half full, I suppose? Or maybe more precisely here, what is your time frame? I think the president's lawyers are focusing very much uh, on the election in November, and the result of today's rulings uh, is likely going to be that he will not have to turn over any documents before the election, and so there won't be any additional ammunition for his opponents. I think that uh, Congresswoman Pelosi is saying, well, look, in the long term, uh, what has happened here is there's a legal ruling that says the president uh, is subject to investigation uh, both by uh, congressional leaders and by uh, state and local law enforcement. And so she's looking at the, the longer term implication. Is, is, this, uh, is there a pathway for the president similar to earlier rulings in this uh, season of Supreme Court decisions being handed down where he essentially is given a roadmap of sorts to kind of re-argue his position and potentially... Uh, become uh, victorious? I think that's exactly right. I mean, there were two cases I think that you've been talking about today. The, uh, the case involving the House of Representatives uh, essentially ran into, I think, considerable resistance from the Supreme Court. I think they were dubious that this was some kind of a legitimate investigation into financial issues, as uh, the leaders like uh, Congresswoman Pelosi had claimed. On the other hand, so what, what, to go back to your point, I think what President Trump's lawyers are going to do is, is challenge whether these are legitimate investigations, and they can do that very immediately in the lower courts where the case is heading back to. I, I think the case that's more challenging for the president is the one out of New York where there is a criminal investigation going on uh, with regard to certain financial transactions, and he can continue to argue that he shouldn't have to turn over information about that. But again, the, the court today, I think, took a very favorable review, a favorable uh, view of the request for that information, and, and said 
to turn over information uh, when requested to do so by law enforcement, and the president uh, isn't really in any different position in that regard. Another thing, too, about these two rulings, in my, again, layman's estimation of things, it, it doesn't appear to me that there is any, you know, regardless of how you analyze these rulings, any immediate requirement for the president to uh, make public these documents, nor even if he were to be ruled against, would there be a requirement for there to be made, for these documents to be made public, for, say, you or I to be able to read them, in particular in uh, in the New York case, the uh, the salt or the, uh, the New York County District Attorney there, uh, once he has them in hand, uh, w- what makes us think that we would see them publicly if 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 there's any reason? No, I think you're exactly right. Uh, what has been requested of the president is that he turn over documents pursuant to a grand jury subpoena. Uh, and as you know, grand jury investigations are conducted in secret uh, for two reasons, really. One is uh, uh, we don't want someone who's uh, under investigation necessarily to, to run away. That's not at play here. But the second reason is the grand jury investigation might conclude that no crime has ever been committed. So information turned over to a grand jury is never made public. The only way I suppose that could change is if the grand jury were to decide to issue some kind of criminal charges, then at that point during the later proceedings, you know, those documents would become uh, publicly available. But there's nothing to indicate it from either of these two rulings that the president is going to have to disclose documents and that those would become publicly available uh, in the near future. And I think that was uh, that was the main point that the president's lawyers uh, were focusing on uh, trying to to move through the election uh, with this in, uh, personal information uh, not having to be disclosed. Uh, now, let's turn back the clocks a little bit. Well, a lot of bit. I read a portion of the of the decision handed down by the Supreme Court specifically relating to uh, the, the case in, in New York City. It opens essentially with a long narrative describing a case of Aaron Burr from nearly centuries ago. What's the relevance of Aaron Burr to this to this case today? <laughs> well, I, you know, for 200 years or more now, the Supreme Court has been the arbiter uh, uh, occasionally, and in fact, I guess very rarely, of disputes between the president and uh, Congress. Uh, that's part of, of course, of our separation of powers. And so I think what the court uh, was signaling today is it's continue, uh, it's continuing to uh, have willingness to arbitrate these kinds of disputes, but uh, oftentimes those disputes are just going to have to be resolved politically. I mean, while the president isn't turning over uh, any documents as a result of today's rulings, he is going to have to stand for re-election in front of the voters in November, and ultimately the voters are going to have, I think, the last uh, word on this. If they uh, re-elect President Trump, I think uh, that's going to signal that uh, maybe the voters are, are, are not interested in some of the details of these documents. If, on the other hand, they, uh, they uh, elect uh, President Biden, that may signal that they don't think uh, the way President Trump has been handling some of these issues is, is correct. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are a lot of other issues at play in the election, but that's the larger way I think that the president and Congress and uh, are held accountable is, is through ultimately the voters having the last word on, on what direction they want the country to go. Sure. Uh, one final question, and it's a broad one. Does, did, did anything coming from the Supreme Court today uh, change the, the, the attitude or the law or anything like that regarding whether or not a sitting president can be charged with crimes, that general question? 
No, I don't know that they they got to that ultimate issue. I mean, they they did point out that uh, this is uh, a decision that uh, is not entirely unprecedented. Of course, President Nixon had the Watergate tapes controversy back in 1974, and President Clinton was subpoenaed to testify in a civil case, the Paula Jones case, back in 1998. Uh, so, there, you know, I think what this decision falls in line with the holding in those two cases. Those cases came out against the president. Technically, as a legal matter, today's case came out against the president. And so I think the Supreme Court is saying, look, the president is not above the law in the sense that he cannot claim complete immunity from ordinary court processes. But I think at the same time, the court tried to split the difference and say, look, in deciding how much time and attention the president's going to have to spend in responding to these kinds of inquiries and, and how much detail he's going to have to disclose, the fact that he is the commander-in-chief and the leader of the executive branch has to be weighed into the balance. Paul Cassell. Law professor at the University of Utah, former federal judge. Thank you so much for helping uh, me and the listeners get a better understanding of what's been handed down most recently by the Supreme Court of the United States. Thank you, as always.